This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome in to another episode of Half Measures Podcast. We would be honoured if you would join us. And joining me on his tonton to brave it in the cold conditions here on Hoth, it's Dan. Dan, what's going on? I'll see you in hell, Paul. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> so many great lines right off the bat. So many great lines. I can't I can't wait to talk about this movie. This is this is a classic. Like they're all classics, but this is a, a special, special movie for me. It really is. It's uh, it's one of those movies that I've appreciated more as I've got older as well. Whereas maybe a movie like Return of the Jedi, which we've yet to get to, still probably resonates more for me as a kid than it does now as an adult. This one, I just remember being terrified of at sort yeah. of uh, age <clears throat> as, as a youngster. This is, I think the interesting thing for me about Empire Strikes Back is that this is the movie that we owned on VHS without owning the other movies. And so this is the one that I've just seen the most in my life. And so it kind of, it holds a special spot. And when I say owned it on VHS, I feel like taped off TV or something. Like it wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't like a theatrical release or something. It was just however we acquired that back in the 80s. I was just going to say, I can still see my own VHS cassette. It was like it had E180 Sony and then the yes. sticker on the side. Yes. With, and I would have written in Empire Strikes Back in horrific writing and just hope. Do that, not tape over. Hope that Coronation Street never sort of replaced it or anything. Indeed, indeed. I, this is a real rumor. I remember, you know, some families had like multiple videotapes to play. Yes. We were a family that had like four. Yes. And... It was like there might have been one that was like we keep the movies on this one, but these other three are always in rotation, and you just had to be real careful with what you wanted. That's right, we were the same, and I think we tried to have like everyone had their own cassette, and of course, if you wanted more, than, you know, if, if I wanted to have Superman two and 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 sort of Empire Strikes Back and maybe Raiders of the Lost Ark, then I was going to have to sneak it on the end of someone else's tape and hope it never got found. It's a crazy model, and there was also um, I remember some families who would like watch something and then pause the video recording while the ads were on, and then hit, hit record again. And that always blew my mind, that level of commitment. I was more just a – because if I was recording it, I probably wasn't watching it. So It's a real wormhole, but I used to do that with music videos so that I kind oh, of yeah. cut out the chatter in between on like Top of the Pops or whatever. But that is that is a wormhole we probably shouldn't go down, Dan, um, because we do, we do have a hell of a movie to talk about here, The Empire Strikes Back from 1980. Um, Again, just in case you've never watched this before, after the Rebels are brutally overpowered by the Empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins Jedi training with Yoda. Uh, his friends are pursued, though, by Darth Vader and a bounty hunter called Boba Fett. What a simple synopsis. Doesn't sound like anything too special, but it surely is. This is going to be an interesting one, because I actually feel like on this watch, like I've actually got a few uh, complaints about this movie. Yet it is one of my favourites. So it's it's. I think as we go into this, um, don't take my Walking Dead level rants to I mean a dislike of this movie overall. It's just there's some things I think that I don't think have still work as well as they maybe once did. Okay, okay, that's really good to hear because I I I don't have as much of that, and I love a Walking Dead energy um, because I think attacking this movie is is going to be something that will be a bit of fun. It's interesting when I think back to 
when you sort of read back through the history, so the success of A New Hope in 1977, there was no question at that point that there was going to be a sequel. They'd already they'd already had a, a, a novel written, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which I've read once. And I actually, I actually own a copy of it, which was um, gifted to me very kindly by a, a friend of the podcast. And it's just crazy to think the direction that they could have gone in. Uh, if you haven't read that novel, I would recommend it. It's just a, it's kind of like a, a, if you think about a fork in the road, do we go in this direction or do we go in this direction? And the reason that Splinter of the Mind's Eye never became a, a thing is because it didn't have Han Solo because Harrison Ford hadn't signed on at that point. And of course, Han was back. It's kind of like, you know, it's interesting that culture of you, right? Because obviously, so Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill had signed on for three movies and um, Harrison Ford obviously hadn't, like you just said. And just like even at the end of this movie, he was still unsure whether he'd come back for a third. And it just kind of like blows my mind. Like, and I, I wonder whether, you know, we've talked about before with uh, Han Solo being so, so grumpy. I wonder whether it's just his real life persona just coming into this character as opposed to something dramatic that happened. Because I feel like he's always kind of been a bit like that with the Star Wars franchise. Like he's kind of like, it's, you know, made him a big mark on his career, but he probably doesn't ultimately care about it like Mark Hamill does, for example. Oh, that's, that's a total difference there. When If you think about a Star Wars celebration, you, you almost guarantee Mark Hamill will come out and he will want to come out and he will want to sit there and talk to fans for hours because he just loves it. Harrison Ford is the absolute opposite. He'll be dragged in if he has to. I think he turned up for the uh the big one when they did the force awakens you know him gary fisher billy d williams and all the rest of the gang turned up for a few of them uh but harrison ford i'd say other than matt Wahlberg, is probably the celebrity that makes me laugh the most in interviews because he just does not care and he will slate everything and every, anything about star wars and it seems so out of it seems like don't say these things indeed well should we jump into the movie yeah, so at the time came out, it was just known as The Empire Strikes Back. You know, when we when we reviewed A New Hope, it wasn't called A New Hope, it was just called Star Wars. This was just The Empire Strikes Back. That was all we knew. Um, right from the start, the opening credits, uh, just the difference of... Um, the, the approach, for, so from with A New Hope, with the with the massive Star Destroyer going over the top. This time, we've, we've got the bottom of the Star Destroyer, we've got all these probes coming out and straight away just then i know i've done it before but this the shout outs for ben burt and the sound team there's just something so iconic about these sounds that i just wonder if today's youth watch movies and have the same reactions to the movies they're watching when they're older if they'll have the same reaction that we have now to this movie just in terms of just pure sounds just the sounds of those probes flying off in all directions yeah, I I think unless you're kind of like a bit of a, a film connoisseur or you're really sort of like into that, like it's probably just goes over the top of a lot of people's heads because it's so expected that there'll just be good quality sounds. And I think this is just one of the things that's great to sit back and appreciate about these movies is just how wonderful and magical they were for their time. Yeah, oh, they, they truly were. And, and of course, the great thing about a sequel is is the main cast we know who they are and there's no messing you know as always it's the second chapter of a book or, or the fifth chapter i guess in this case um you know straight away we're on the planet hoth and luke's there echo three to echo han old buddy do you read me and it's we know everything and we just jump straight in there's no sort of establishing characters at this point we're just straight into it 
One of my favorite things actually is at the start of this movie is actually how friendly Luke and Han are together. And I feel like they've got a real connection now. Whereas in the first movie, that's a bit like, what do, what do you want? Like, where am I taking you? How many credits? Whereas now it actually truly feels like they're friends and looking out for one another. It's, it's, it's a really good observation. It's the, it's the unknown. What has happened between mm. the, the, the medal celebration where most people got medals and suddenly we're on this, this ice planet. And what, what has happened in between to get you from there to here? How is your friendship and your, and all the other things just evolved? That's, you start wondering all those things. I love that. Mm. And I, um, I've always really like the Hoth, uh, entrance to this movie has always been one of my favorite parts of Empire. Yeah. And it's it's just such a a great planet. It's so cool to kind of, uh, no pun intended, to kind of do something not in space, but on a sort of a, a different world. Like, you know, we talk about how we always see Tatooine, but we don't often deal with snow planets as much. And it's just a whole nother level of like there's different ships. We've got Tontons. We've got different types of adventures, different types of threats. We've got Wampers. It's, it's a good time. It really is, and it's it's so you know we we talked about it when we did the prequels. The the landscape's so different. It's it's literally the opposite end of what you could expect from Tatooine. It's Echo Base. I just love everything about it: the look, the feel, the noises. Um, some of that was sort of sort of replicated a little bit um, in, I guess, in in, in Yavin. But uh, it's it's just a wonderful place. The the Tontons, you know, straight away. Luke's in trouble, you know, you smell something and he's being attacked by the Wampa. And of course, because I presume you watch this on Disney Plus as well, the the special edition footage has so much more of that that Wampa creature. Uh, is it a Wampa? I think I'm calling it. Mm. Is it? It is. Okay. Um, it's And it's actually quite terrifying compared to the limited amount that we saw in the theatrical release and what you and I would have had on our VHS tapes. Yeah, definitely. And I think because the other uh, classic scene in the Ice Cave is obviously Luke is kind of hanging upside down with a lightsaber in the snow. And I imagine, Paul, because we're basically the same person, I have spent hundreds of hours in my youth trying to sort of like like force pull like a pencil to my hand or, you know, like really concentrate. Like, can I use the force? I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the, you know, like, (laughs) and it's. It's just such a, a classic scene for me, and I, I feel like it's a bit like waving your hand to open the supermarket doors, right? Like it's, yep. you know, everyone tries to see, like, can I use the force to bring this object to me? Yeah. Look, if it's good enough for Ewan McGregor to do it, and he plays a Jedi Knight, I think it's good enough for all of us. But yeah, the minute any of us discovered how to reverse a video, the first thing we all did, of course, was make the lightsaber come to us or, or, or the remote or whatever it was. It's great. Uh, Han Solo... He sort of um, he comes in this movie pretty early, and I'm, I have to say straight away, this is the quintessential Han Solo performance. The look, the lines. So across the six movies that we see Han Solo in, this for me is this is peak Han. This is this is as good as it will ever get. He's throughout. I just I think he's superb. I think too. It's. Um... It's actually, I think, a combination as well, the fantastic costumes on Hoth. Mm. And I just love the, you know, the sort of like the heavy snow jackets and the, like the furry hoods and the, like just it's a, a whole different level of costuming. And I think then when you're switching particularly between like Luke from his Hoth gear to his um, pilot suit and stuff, it's just, it's it all feels so fitting. There's a bit more budget there and it all feels good. And that jacket that Han Solo wears, 
every time I have to replace my winter jacket, there's a part of me that thinks, where can I get a hand solo winter jacket? Because that's that's the jacket I want. I literally have a winter jacket with the the fur around the hood, just purely for the hand, the hand solo factor. Okay, we need to talk after this this podcast. Um, don't get all mushy on me. So long, princess. I mean, the banter that we talked about in A New Hope between Leia and Han is right there again. I'd rather kiss a Wookiee. I can arrange that. Um, I need to know, is this brilliant dialogue or have we grown up loving it that we're no longer impartial? I just can't tell anymore. Well, I, I it's funny you say I was reflecting on this as well because I think growing up it was just the core part of their relationship. This time I kind of found it a bit like um, like though there's lines that are definitely funny and work, their constant kind of bickering is kind of like a bit gross at times and just how like Han Solo is always just trying to basically be like, you love me, you want me, you look, like it's kind of creepy. Um, and then Princess Leia is equally kind of like, kind of like rising to sort of the bait and it, it's like their relationship's so fraught. It's actually kind of nice when they actually finally calm down a little bit and yeah. just stop being so horrible to one another. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I don't know that if this movie were written today, if they would have that level of dialogue, right? It, it would probably not be, and not just, not even just with Leia, I guess, I think even with some of the other characters, like I don't think, you know, as much as I love Han in this movie, I don't think I'd actually get on with him in real life. Because I would be the guy, I would be the safety guy there, saying, "Oh, your your tonton will will freeze before you reach the first marker, and you know, and I'll see you in hell." It's like it's unworkable. Yeah. It's kind of the same, to be honest, with um, C three PO, and I know that there's much love for for three PO, but he's equally a bit of a jerk when it comes to dialogue. Like everyone's just kind of like, you know, like rubbishing the person they're talking to. You're basically an idiot, you useless hunk of junk, you yep. useless walking carpet, whatever. And it's like there's not much um, good vibes between kind of our heroes, which is interesting. Like, in the, I think, as you say, in today's age, those characters wouldn't be written like that. But I feel like we've just grown up with these scenes that it's just become a core of who they are. Yeah. Oh, look, it's, it's really interesting rewatching it as an adult and knowing I'm going to talk about a podcast because I start thinking about things that you've just mentioned. And one of those things is, and this started for me with Attack of the Clones is C-3PO's lines. Like when you actually really pay attention to, he's he's constantly, even in the middle of huge battle, he's he's still shouting and screaming and just, just annoying for want of a better word, which mm. is why I think, and I know we haven't got there yet, I, I seem to recall from The Force Awakens through to The Rise of Skywalker that the 3 period we get there is probably at the right level and the right amounts. I feel like there's sort of a recognition there. Agreed, agreed. I think um, that scene, just sort of going back a little bit, where, where Han is like, I'll see you in hell, is so great because it's like, yeah. I think that's the game speaks to that level of friendship between himself and Luke and that they need to save him. Um, but there's another funny scene in there too where uh, the the two guards are talking and Princess Leia's off to the side and like the guards are like, oh, there's still no report of um, yeah. of Solo. And like, oh, shh, shh, yeah. shh. There's still not, no report of Captain Solo. <laughs> yeah, not, not in front of the princess. Like it's like, come on, guys. Like we're literally on a rebel base. Everyone knows that like those shields need to be shut. Like it's... Yeah, it's, it's just funny. The shield doors must be closed. It's like, I want those shield doors on my house. It's like, you don't want visitors coming, you know, in the evening when you're sitting down to watch some TV. It's like the shield doors must be closed. The, at some point, they have to go up. I think if you want to have no visitors, I think living on a planet like Hoth is probably the, the right way to go. That's, I'll, I'll look into that. Um, back to 3PO very 
briefly, and I haven't researched this because that's how we run on this podcast, but he uses the line, um, don't worry, he, he's quite clever for a human being. Is that the first time we've actually heard the word human associated with so. it? As I just picked mm. up on it. It felt like it, you know, it brings it to our language, to our world. And obviously, you know, it, you know, going deeper again, it's implying that the the droids all think they're better than the yeah. the other species and the and the, the humans, I guess, and the alien creatures. So interesting. I think L three would appreciate that line. Um, the appearance of Obi Wan to Luke, you you will go to the Dagobah system and just seeing that force ghost appear. I remember as a kid just being overwhelmed by that because, of course, we'd we'd seen him slayed, so I I couldn't quite pick that together. Now, watching it as an adult, of course, I I, I get it. But hearing Luke go, Ben, and we're like, mate, it's not Ben. We've we've, we've moved past that now. It's Obi-Wan, you know? At what point are we going to go from Ben to (laughs) Obi-Wan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting, right, because Alec Guinness, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, he originally wasn't going to be in the Empire Strikes Back as well. And um, and one of the reasons for that is he just had an operation and he sort of eventually worked out, yeah, he could do some scenes. And he came in for one day of filming and he basically filmed, I think, between 9 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. and filmed his entire sort of force ghost scenes for the whole movie in in a morning. And as a result, he got like a like a, a, a percentage cut for his amount of work on the movie, which I think equated to a million dollars, which is pretty awesome. I love everything about that on so many levels, not just the money, but just even the way he's operating. That's how I want to operate at work. I want to come in at nine, do all the stuff I need to be do, and then be gone by one for a nice long lunch. That's early brilliant. Early start, early finished. Early start, early finished. That's the spirit, Dan. Um, so Han finds Luke uh, as as of course we knew he would, um, and keeps him warm overnight uh, in the, in the Tonton. Uh, he uses the lightsaber, um, which of course was you know previously Anakin's. I'm just keeping keeping track on on how many sets of hands this lightsaber goes through because it's always a good trivia moment that Han Solo has used that lightsaber. Uh, and then the morning scene, something about again the combination of the music and the 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 snow speeders coming across the terrain and Rogue Two. I did not when he's sort of looking out the window and he's like, and Han Solo says, good morning. Nice of you guys to drop in. There's something about his smile. I, I can't even explain it. I just absolutely love that whole scene. I agree. It's, it's so fantastic. And it's so, it's so heartwarming and it's kind of like, it's a sunny day. Um, the one thing that does annoy me with Road 2 is like, he like rings bass straight away, but like, I found them. And it's like, hold on, mate. You've just heard from them. You haven't actually found them yet. Like, I think, you know, there's maybe a little bit more due diligence you should do before you like ring up celebrating. Um, they could have been, because you know how then they, they flick to the scene where basically like Hans waving at them as they kind of fly around. Um, it's The celebration was too early. Yeah. And I love, I've spotted the tent that Hans Solo had put up as well. I've sort of, um, not really appreciated that he got a, a you know something up rather than just the tonton. I think maybe because Han responded with "Oh yeah, good morning, nice of you fellas to drop it." It's kind of like he can assume from Han's tone that everything's everything's fine, and obviously Luke's alive too. If Han's cracking jokes like that, but you're right, always follow through before you report into the the project manager or anyone on what you may or may not have completed as a task. I think the other big thing that happens now, and I think which we probably appreciate even more so um, through the book of Boba Fett, is Luke being in the Bacta tank. Yes, yes. You know, like I just, like I always understood the Bacta tank sort of healing properties, but 
in the context of Book of Boba Fett, I really now appreciate how much work that Back to Tank's doing. Yeah. Oh, it's it's become its own thing now. And, you know, even with uh, Vader and the Back to Tank in, in Rogue One or any, as you say, any of the other things, especially the Book of Boba Fett, it just means so much more now. Um, and some of the camera work as well. I just want to give a shout out to the director, Irvin Kirshner. Some of the 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 camera work that he has in some of those scenes is just absolutely immaculate. So there's the the moment where Han, uh, Han turns to Chewie to say, laugh it up, fuzzball, and the angle at which he's looking at Han. And there's other things like later on how when he captures how Vader's walking to intimidate Luke. The, there is a quality to the direction of the Empire Strikes Back from Irving Kirshner that wasn't there with A New Hope. And I'll be honest, with any of the movies that George Lucas directed previously, there's a quality to the direction that's uh, missing in the other movies for me, and I loved it. And I think this is why Empire Strikes Back is so many people's favourite movie, because I think it's it's a real total package. Yeah. Um, what have we got then? So we've got, oh, we've got the, the probe has been, you know, gets shot down, and straight away... They they know you know three PO says I'm fluent in six million languages. Uh, this is this could be an M- imperial code. It's time to start the evacuation. And there's a moment from the minute they 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 say that line where they cut to the Empire, and we see a star destroyer, the biggest ship we've seen, suddenly have a huge shadow come cast across it, and we're like, what on earth is this? And there's the immense super star destroyer. Incredible. So another incredible moment. It's it's just they just t- keep taking it from level to level. I still mm. think that the 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 opening to a new hope is is still more iconic. But there's something about seeing that thing have that shadow cast across it, which is which is great. And of course, you know, Vader sees the uh, the TV footage and he's like, "That's it. The rebels are there." And I'm sure Skywalker is with them. So hang on. There's definitely been some things going on between four and five that we don't know about. It's not just Luke and Han becoming good friends. It's now Vader's figuring out all the pieces. Yeah, there's definitely some big jumps that are made, I think, in there. And it's it kind of, you know, when you think about the Clone Wars animated series and we've got so much stories between um, uh, the Phantom Menace, sorry, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and it's like it's a similar context here. Like, I want more stories in between some of these movies. I think it would be absolutely fascinating um, and you'd probably have to do them in an animated sense because I think it would kind of be a bit of a, a CGI nightmare to use all those actors and oh, stuff. Yeah. But it would be—I would love to see some of those tales. Yeah, I'm thinking even a book could be the best—the best way to to bring some of that to the, maybe not to the the wider audience, but I think it would it would suit me. Um, the the Empire decide you know, they're straight off to to Hoth, um, but the. The dude in charge, what's his name? Piet, Admiral Piet, comes out of hyperspace too soon. And I, obviously the the scene where he, he radios in and sort of force chokes him is, is is iconic. But actually one of the things I appreciate on this rewatch, and if, if anyone's going back to watch this movie again, rather than focusing on Vader or the guy being choked, check out the guys behind, sat down at their consoles with their headsets on, who are obviously doing the call center work for the Star Destroyer. And they just sort of, the, the turn the look of absolute fear as they sort of look at the camera is something i don't think i've spotted before it's great it really reminds me of the the moment in space balls <laughs> oh, yeah yes. 
where all of those guys like look up and it's uh, it's it's so good. And you know, there's been many jokes made about that in Family Guy and Blue Harvest and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's good. That's good. And then we get the the big the big battle on Hoth. Then I think one of the things just before we go into that battle that's always kind of frustrated with me with this movie is, and this sort of goes back to the Leia Han um, relationship is. Han clearly wants to leave because he has to go and pay his debt. And what has always frustrated me, and it's frustrated me even when even when I was young, is that why can't he just leave, go and pay the debt and come back? It seems like so final that he's yeah. like, I've got to leave. And it's like, yeah, but like you could just go, go for a couple of days, pay the money, come back. Well, better yet, why don't we send one of these like, <laughs> you know, young like uh, rebels to go and do it for you like and not to mention we've got like hyperspace like can't you just like direct credit some some money over to Jabba's palace like I don't <laughs> it's always bothered me why it's been such a I have to go this is this is the end I've this is one of the joys of the podcast I've never thought about that but you're so right and also if he had gone ahead and just simply run that errand uh maybe maybe a lot of the things that then happen Return of the Jedi uh, and even Empire itself may no longer have happened because, of course, there would be no longer any bounty out for him. I mean, the 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 the, the flow on effect of you initiating some direct credit or getting someone just to you know. Direct and I guess this this kind of probably speaks to the fact that they weren't sure whether he was going to come back. So, which is why the I need to leave. But from a story point of view, it's always bothered me. I've... But anyway, let's let's go into the positive of the Battle of Hoth because this is a, a fantastic battle. It's probably. I don't know. I don't want to start ranking battles, but in terms of scenes, iconic. The the ATAT uh, walking towards the rebel base. That the whole scene, the whole battle is just. I, I just don't know if it ever got better than that for me in terms of non space battles, but at ground level battles. I just think this is this is top top draw. Well, I think it was always because the ATATs were so terrifying. And even though they were kind of like a slow, kind of ridiculous concept when you think about it, yeah. Um, but they were they were just terrifying because they were slow, and it always sort of seemed like the rebels were so overpowered, particularly when they had kind of troops on the ground firing back at them. And we've seen in you know uh, video games like Battlefront how that battle's far more expanded, and there's a whole there's a whole sort of ground war, and we we're kind of only seeing a part of it, but. Um, I guess that one of the greatest things I think to come out of this is the snow snow speeders versus the AT eighties, mm. and particularly you know um, Luke's involvement in this, and and Luke's really seen as a you know it's mentioned in the credits he's leading a, a group of of pilots. He, he is, and he's 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 just moved through the ranks so quickly, and he's he's so calm in the cockpit. He's got a manner about him that you know, having done this timeline rewatch. So they they did so well with Phantom Menace with young Anakin and you know just always saying, oh just hang on he's always Luke is always saying to no matter who he's with just just hang on and that's a that's a line that his father used and the the manner in which he goes about his work and he you know he takes care of Dak quite well um, he does his best to get him out of that um, speeder but he's a I little think- late. I think this is where the question started rising, Paul. Like, how does Dak die? Like, so the snowspeeder is heading towards the ATAT. Dak is in the back of that. And it's kind of like it's a, a bit of a funny concept, I think, to have a, a, a pilot facing back. It's almost kind of a bit of a World War II yeah. uh, fighter, fighter pilot sort of set up. But I've just never understood how he died, but Luke didn't. And obviously we can't have Luke die. But 
you know, what is Wedge getting a bit trigger happy here in his snow speeder? And, and, you know, he's firing, you know, and it kind of hits Dak and it's like, oh. But just in the, in the heat of the battle, it's kind of not dealt with. But it's, there's just something about the angles of how, how he killed that's a little bit suspicious to me. There's a, there's a deleted scene where Luke walks up to Dak and he's like, did you, did you see who hit us when Dak and Wedge just shakes his head and it's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's like, he's, in fact, we just probably like when the eighty eighty stomps on this on the snow speeder, like we just like, oh, thank God, the evidence is gone. <laughs> the you evidence know? is gone. That's right. Luke then jumps up into one of the other eighty eighties. You know, he uses his 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 bat bat utility belt and and jumps up and does his thing. Most you wait for one hundred and five, and then he gets up there, and and then when when he's done that, he then releases the cable and allows himself to fall. Now, if you actually look at the size of that thing and the, the distance that he has fallen, I can only presume it is the force that has has saved the him. The force jump. There's, there's no, there's no two ways about it. No, okay. th- there's definitely some some force usage because they there. because they don't show it. Because jumping ahead, we see the force jump when he's uh, at the what's the uh, the carbonite thing. Yeah, you know, we see a force jump there, but we see no evidence of a force jump here at this point. It's sort of hidden well, from us in that respect. And what's interesting about that is because the force jump probably doesn't really come into play until he goes to Dagobah. And so, yeah. And I, I wonder if that's kind of like it's not ever really dealt with. And I guess the, the, snow, the snow is soft and we're just going to have to give it a pass. The snow is soft. That's what, that's what, that's how he survived. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, Meanwhile, in the lead ATAT, General Veers, he's gone from upstairs to downstairs. He's now leading the charge on this thing. And it strikes me at this point that all all the Empire bad guys so far are, are, are British. They're just, it's mandatory. You must be, he's like, yes, Lord Vader, I've reached this, your generator. You may start your landing. Everyone is not just British, but they also, they, they went to Eton. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're very well to do. Classic British, Paul. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> Let's not open that can of of worms. Uh, okay, let's move us along, Dan, because the rebels are are on their way out. They're, they're firing the iron cannon, cannon, sorry, which really is quite effective against the Star Destroyer. Like it really does knock the power out altogether. Look, is another floor pool. I feel like once they've kind of like, I would give them the first two kind of like um, getaway ships. Okay, I can see what they're doing. Um, let's just like position the, sh- the ship slightly and we'll just fire. As soon as we sort of see that iron cannon, we'll just blast directly in the same spot and you would just wreck those rebels. That's it. There's, there's some poor military tactics going on here. <laughs> it's it's like in a new hope where hands like, don't worry, I know some maneuvers, we can outrun them. And he just sort of, sort of, you know, just goes off to the left a little bit or something. It's, um, it's the same thing. I know what you mean. Also, when they're firing that iron cannon, how close that iron beam goes to the rebel ships themselves like it's like if i was in that ship i'd be like hang on just you know wait for us to get a little bit further away like it nearly took us out do you know the other thing and i'm I'm skipped open this can of worms um but like they kind of treat the x-wing like it's a bit of a long range ship and whereas the tie fighter isn't and i feel like a tie fighter and an x-wing are kind of a similar class to me um, but X-Wings, like, you know, they're obviously yeah. hyperspacing around the place, like Luke's flying off the Dagobah on one. Like, it's 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 never really dealt with as a ship that, like, it's kind of got, is it like the Tesla of ships? Like, it's kind of got, you know, unlimited <laughs> juice? It's That is a really good observation and a really big can of worms because you would think with all their, their engineers, their military might, their money, that the Empire would be able to create the perfect sort of 
small long-range fighter and so for the rebels to have an x-wing which can also go hyperspacing around and the tie fighter you know as they say oh it's too far out of range you know it kind of get got this far by itself it's it's mm-hmm. it's it is a can of worms that i feel like that's not it's a rock that we don't want to pick up because you're right and as the rebels jump away into hyperspace they're safe it's just as well then that they can't track them through hyperspace otherwise that would be a real game changer as well hey, look here's another question i've got is at the end of A New Hope, you know, one of the reasons they let the Falcon es- escape is because they put a tracking device on it. And and it's kind of like, and this is probably one of those things that maybe got dealt with in between A New Hope and Empire, but wouldn't that tracking device have led them to Hoth in the first place? Like, <laughs> That's really good. I think there's there's a whole bunch of things that I would love to see covered off in, as you say, an animated show or something where like Cherry's doing some maintenance on the Falcon and he just picks up this thing he's like, what is this? And just sort of, you know, just chucks it. It's probably dealt with in one of the Lego Star Wars games. Yeah, it probably is. It probably is. The Lego Star Wars um, Skywalker saga need to get amongst that game. Um, at this point, I'm noticing how much Han is really, he's like us at this point. He is not a fan of C-3PO in this movie. He has so many incredible lines to 3PO that just dissing him all over the place. Like, move at goldenrod or you could become a permanent resident plug the professor into the hyperdrive i'm not really interested in your opinion shut him up or shut him down he's he's all over the 3po throughout it's kind of like in a project sense it's like that um that ba that's like just a little bit little bit just like knows knows too much and has probably been on a few too many tours and a little bit kind of on the spectrum and it's like you know, it's it's a lot. It's so accurate. It's. Uh, I hope there's some business analysts out there appreciating the commentary because I I second it. Um, where are we going to? So I guess now the, the the main story goes with Luke to to Dagobah. Now you you came in with some some you know sort of criticisms here and there. This is where I both love the movie but also i find this is the draggy point and it's controversial to say that because this is yoda this is so vital to the whole story and yet there's parts of this whole scene on dagobah that just i feel like i'm sitting there wanting to almost just play it at 1.25 speed which of course you'd never do i agree with Everything that happens now is the drag of this movie. Okay. And so so I think so there's there's two things that drag for me, and I think we'll probably get to the other one in a second. So um so one, I think it's the everything that happens on the the asteroid is is too long and too too boring for me. And two and I just I think you're right, like it feels so wrong to throw any shade at Yoda because Yoda's a such a cool character and there's so many wonderful Yoda moments when he's actually been Yoda but when he's just been kind of the the crazy space hermit it's kind of just a little bit frustrating it's like it brings up all these questions about like R2 and Yoda like they know each other like there's like he Yoda kind of comes across as a bit of a jerk and it's not until he kind of interacts with Obi-Wan that he kind of gets a bit chill again and sort of becomes the Yoda that we that all that I kind of like and remember but on the same even as a even as a a youngling I found the same thing it was it was always kind of the part of the movie I'd be happy to get up and get a drink or go to the bathroom without even pausing because it's kind of like just a little bit a little bit long in the tooth but I also I guess I've got some complaints as well in the sense that 
Luke's time on Dagobah is a different timescale to when he sees um, uh, Han and Leia again on Cloud City. And it's like, the way that it's kind of portrayed in the movie is it's like, you know, a, a couple of days have passed. But in reality, Luke's on Dagobah for a long time doing training. Like it's, yeah. but it's, it, there's a real mismatch there in how that's kind of communicated. And the only, this is me jumping ahead quite a bit, the only clue that you kind of get is there's a time jump is when they're on Cloud City and Leia actually changes her outfit into something yep. like she's going kind to of been there a little while. But I don't think they did a very good job of explaining that to the audience. Well, I don't know if Leia changing her outfit is a good yardstick because we've all seen Padme change costumes, you know, six times in a day. So, <laughs> but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's interesting because as a kid, this whole scene terrified me and especially the cave scene, you know, like I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know that that wasn't Vader in the cave. So there were some things that, that were good. There's a lot of good in here, but it's, yeah, it's just a little out of whack. It's, it's, it feels, as you say, it feels bad to be saying bad things about Yoda. One of the things I did pick up on, I'd never noticed before, at least not consciously, I don't think how deliberately, uh playful he is when he meets luke because he wants to frustrate him he wants to test his patience and you know and then as soon as he says i cannot train him he, he's back to the yoda we know from episodes one to three and his eyes and his whole body language changes to the yoda we know and he's like i have no energy whereas before he's like oh yeah and he's just grabbing everything and he's, he's essentially a little bit of a calmed down fuzzy bear yeah, yeah. I feel so bad just even talking anything bad because, you know, like, I think, like, so Frank Oz, the the way they kind of brought Yoda to life as a puppet is, is a core part of, I think, the Star Wars universe. And I think when, you know, when you think about CGI Yoda versus puppet Yoda, like, there's something so different about them and, and sort of how they, they operate. And it's, like, I've always loved Yoda and I just – I think it's maybe it's just how how long the scene is. I don't know, but there's there's things in there that happen for a reason and they're important for the story. But it's it's just something that's not quite right. I think the other thing that's really interesting when you watch this in timeline order is how much kind of um, foreshadowing and clues they actually give you about the big reveal at the end of Empire. Yeah. And it's actually they're actually giving you like big huge nuggets all the way through this movie about what that relationship is going to be. They are, and yet no one picks up on it. Even when I'm even when I'm doing a rewatch, I, I kind of almost almost don't pick up on it. One thing I did pick up on though was Yoda's. He's sort of like he's got a dark edge to him. So like when Luke's like, "I'm not afraid," he's a little bit too, you know. When he's like, "Ah, oh, you will be, you will be." That's a bit dark. like I'm suddenly at this point thinking, "I don't know if I want my kid to be trained by this guy anymore." Thanks. It's mm-hmm. kind of like he's he's really like getting. A little bit too. Well, I guess this is kind of the other thing too, right? So obviously Obi-Wan and Yoda have kind of gone into hiding and they've kind of gone, like, you know, Yoda in particular has turned into a crazy, crazy sort of hermit. The other, he's, he's had his, like, monthly teams calls with Qui-Gon and yeah. Obi-Wan kind of in force ghost mode. But it's kind of like, apart from that, he's, he's, he's all alone. But it's like, what a depressing planet to live on. Yeah. Oh, Exactly. It's it's really not a holiday spot. It's uh, um, where was I going to go? Uh, in, intermingled with this, we cut away briefly, and we and we come back, but we cut away to 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 Vader and the Emperor demands we make contact, and we have that whole scene with the Emperor, and there's that dialogue that's and I do love 
for the record, the fact that we have Ian McDermott come in as the emperor and replacing the old. And I know there's, that's controversial because a lot of people love that, but I, I just think it's great. I, I, I just love it. But when he says, oh, the young rebel who destroyed the Death Star, I have no doubt he is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. And Vader's like, oh, how is that possible? So there's... that, And obviously they've retrofitted when they did Revenge of the Sith, but like Anakin at this point, oh, sorry, Vader at this point, had sort of figured that because... Padme didn't survive that, you know, the baby, the one baby that has, he's thinking of at this point didn't survive either. Uh-oh. Or, Uh-oh. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, during this scene, it really got me thinking, like, when they split up um, Luke and Leia, like, why did they keep the last name Skywalker? Like, why didn't they say, so you are Luke Lars? Like, it honestly... You you are just asking for trouble. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I feel like if there was like a, a court inquiry into all of this, the, the evidence would stack up. It would just get thrown out. You're right. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, Leia Organa, that's well hidden. You know, not on Tatooine, not a Skywalker. Luke was... Luke Skywalker's, <laughs> come at me, bro. Come at me. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's really good. Um... How is that possible? Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Um, was a real good uh, mirror of how Palpatine talked to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. That was another thing I picked up on, which is, is great to sort of pick up on in a, in a timeline rewatch. Um, and then we jump back across to, to Dagobah and the ship's sunk in the water and that's it. That ship's never coming out, right? I do actually enjoy this the scene of eventually like Yoda doing a hard flex and kind of being like, look, I'll do it, like size matters not, and and getting the ship out. And I think this is sort of a real like one of those real aha moments for Luke being like, oh, she's pretty cool. Maybe I should stop being so whiny and, you know, and listen. It is around this point. You're right. It is around this point that I think whiny Luke actually sort of leaves the franchise, I think, after he leaves Dagobah, he has, and I guess you can correct me if if that doesn't turn out to be the case later on. But um, I, at this point, I think that's there's a there's a moment that changes for him. And Yoda bringing that ship out of the out of the water was a moment of realization for him. And you know, as he says, "I don't believe it." Um, it's powerful. I watched in Wellington City actually uh, a live live performance of um the music of the empire strikes back whilst the mo- so the movie's playing but the orchestra does all the music and i always remember this scene the the moment yoda brings the ship out of the water as being the moment where that music really hit home the most even more than the imperial march this this mm-hmm. this theme yoda's theme is it's an incredible moment it's really powerful and even now you know 40 odd years later it, it just works so well well, I think, too, um, the first time seeing this movie, this is the first time we really, truly get to see the power of Yoda. Yeah. Like, he's kind of, you know, we kind of get it, but we kind of probably a little bit untrusting, we're a little bit unsure of who he is and his quirkiness. Um, I think, too, just like, because obviously the scene bounces back and forth between um, here and sort of the Millennium Falcon being chased through the asteroid field. Oh, yeah. And and the Falcon um, landing. I This is another one that's, like, honestly, Paul, I've, I find the scene really kind of fatiguing. I don't know what it is about just, like, the Millennium Falcon crashing again. Obviously, Luke and Leia kind of have their moment, but it's just kind of – it just – 
goes on too long for me. Yeah, there's one too many hyperdrive failure. You know, like when mm. when hands like it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's it's they've done it once. They've done it. It's you can yeah. I, I kind of pick up on that too. You just want them to get going and, and you want this ship to work because you want to love the ship because now you're starting to think, do you know what? Luke was right. It is a hunk of junk. Um, yeah. So they obviously, you know, needing to, once they eventually get out of the um, the asteroid field, uh, Boba Fett plays a, a, a classic. Oh, actually, oh, there's two things that happen, right? So obviously they kind of like dock onto the side of the Star Destroyer and it's a, a classic sort of escape move, knowing that the Empire is going to jettison its rubbish, which is a terrible move by the Empire, just to be like throwing rubbish yeah. out into the yeah. into space. Um, and they kind of wait for that, that rubbish to be jettisoned so they can kind of like drift away. And I just love the, the Boba Fett who's kind of there ready to kind of um, follow them. And it's such a, a throwback to Attack of the Clones when Obi-Wan did this move to Django and Boba. Yeah. And I, I just like to think that that's how he learned that. I, I 100% agree. And again, watching the timeline order rewatch, that, that's something I picked up on as well. The other thing I kind of thought, you know, a, don't, as you said, don't dump your rubbish in space. That's, that's not good. But B, it's a good job no one was looking out the window at the exact moment that Anne said to Chewie, detach, and they sort of float away. There's no good job no one was like, hey, that's not, that's not rubbish. That's not recycling. It's like. <laughs> I imagine, you know, like if someone like throws some rubbish, they're like, they've got shame. So they're not like looking back to look at it. They're just kind of like, oh, it's my rubbish. Like, look away. And that's why they, that's why, they, you know. <laughs> the shutters are all closed. There's like a, there's a tannoy announcement. Please close all shutters um, before we make the jump to hyperspace. And that's when they, no one sees what happens. And you've got to imagine like a Star Destroyer probably has so much rubbish, right? Like <laughs> if you think about like a, a Navy ship, like, you know, if there's like um, three big like Navy vessels, like there's often just a, a support ship that purely just deals with like rubbish and waste. Like, so a Star Destroyer has got to have a lot. That's brilliant. Um, I, I imagine there's some technical manual that talks about that. That would be interesting to find out. Um he finds the Lando on the map, not the Lando system. Lando's a man, of course. And, you know, it's pretty far, but I think we can make it. It's it's interesting because they get there very, very quickly. So there's no, there's no as again, in terms of time scale, we've got no sort of sense of how long it's taken them to make that trip because all of a sudden they're there. I do enjoy the landing on Bespin in this in this. Um, special edition with all the cgi so there's that whole scene where the falcon comes in is all added in it wasn't there in the original empire strikes back and i think it it's it's great because you get a sense of what bespin cloud city looks like and it's a it's a great landing and then of course we have the reverse of the solo uh, star wars movie uh, where han fake punches lando and then hugs him and now now we get lando doing the exact opposite to him uh, the you know the exact reverse I um this is where the movie like cranks back up into high gear for me. Like I lo- I do I love being on Cloud City. I love being in Bespin. I love the addition of some of those um some of those scenes like you've mentioned, and it's like Lando's such a fascinating character because I've always kind of loved hated his sort of betrayal role in in this film. But he's he's such a fascinating character, and it really just sort of gets me excited for the the Lando TV series. Yeah, it, oh, it really does, and. We all forgive Lando for what he's done and we all love Lando. But when you watch it in the moment and, you know, there's a fair bit of time passes from the moment they arrive to the moment they walk into the the dining room table and Vader's sitting there waiting for them, where you just feel 
like he, he could have given him a a, a a bit of a nudge of saying the empire's here you know the if, if you think about um even in revenge of the sith when obi-wan lands on the planet and like the the banking clan guy walks up and goes you know they arrived just before you did you know that's the moment we really needed but of course you know that's not the way the story goes indeed indeed it's it's so um again it just it's where the time sort of really feels a bit messed up and it's hard to understand i always found it annoying um and it's still kind of annoying that c-3po just kind of wanders into trouble straight away gets blasted gets ripped apart for parts like and then again like everyone's trying to put him back together and he's just like oh you're incompetent like <laughs> put me right. around like god like Send him to the scrap heap. You're doing my head in. <laughs> he's never ever happy, and I think one of my favourite lines actually when he's sort of he's sort of there in and on the table in pieces, and Lando walks in. And he goes, "Oh, having some problem with your droids?" And Han's like, "No problem. Why?" It's like he, he doesn't care. He's quite happy with three PO how he is right now. He's like, "Just just leave him like that." It's um, uh, shall we? Let's just timeline. Let's jump back over to Dagobah and. Luke's pretty much out the door, but before he does, Obi-Wan decides to show up in full Force Ghost mode in his presence to actually try and convince him not to go. And I don't know if I'm missing something, and maybe I'm just not a big enough thinker here, but like they're so, they're so, again, you know how you sort of say, oh, what if Han has to go pay Jabba the Hutt? It's so final. It's like if if Luke goes to to save his friends, it's so final. If you go down that path, you know down the dark side you'll go they're like they're they're i know they want to stop him from going but they're sort of throwing on it a little bit too heavy for me in terms of don't give in to hate i don't think he is giving in to hate and i think they the way that they kind of talk is like the force is kind of a bit of a fortune teller's tool because they kind of play it out like they know that they going to be there they know that there's going to be this interaction but that's not the way the force works like yeah. i i think which we know much more about now, but it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't kind of work. And I think no one gives anyone any ability to kind of, oh, you've got to do something. Okay. All right. We'll see you back on Monday. Is that all good for you? <laughs> Tuesday, 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 Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. I am. Um, I, uh, I, I think for me, there's many highlights. You know, we talked about the, the Hoth battle, the, the Yoda, force moments but obi-wan's force ghost is is for some reason just a real highlight for me and it always has been there's something about having lost him in a new hope that knowing that he's still able to to talk to luke and we're still able to see him it's like it's like um in the rise of skywalker the line you know no one's no one's ever truly gone it's um it's it's just something comforting about it and i really enjoy that whole scene and the whole the whole nature of the conversation and i know we're going to have this again in return of the jedi in fact return of the jedi is probably even more satisfying um but i really i really enjoyed seeing alec guinness as as obi-wan again in this movie just briefly mm, i agree and it's it's so great to see his interactions with yoda so particularly now with like the clone wars context right like you, you've got a much better sense of their their friendship one thing i don't like is how obi-wan's like i was reckless as well like and you trained me it's like obi-wan you were the biggest like nerd when it comes i imagine who ever became a jedi like i don't think obi-wan ever broke a rule that he didn't have to like apart from when he was doing stuff with anakin i think it's really good, I think, because when 
you're right when he says oh was i any different you know yoda could have come out with a list of things and said yes you were different for these reasons but yeah i think the the moment that maybe they cover that off in is the phantom menace when he's defiantly saying i want to train the boy and yoda's like yeah you, you don't need qui-gon's defiance you know if there's maybe that's the one scene or maybe i've some forgotten some things I'll, from I'll the clone wars. we'll let it go okay um back over to so luke's off he's he, he's off and back over at cloud city i love how vader decides to sit and wait at the dining room table Given that he can't eat at all, it must have been a rare opportunity for him to sit down. And, you know, he's got Boba Fett there as well. And I don't know how long, how long they're waiting for Lando to bring them all the way across Cloud City into that room. But I'd love to see, you know, the the flip side of that scene and just see what the small talk might have been as he sat there. Is he playing with some of the, the crockery? I don't know. It's such a great scene, too, because I... You know, especially when Solo walks into the room and he just instantly kind of like pulls his blaster and then, you know, Vader kind of like force grabs it off him. And it's kind of, it's the only line of dialogue we actually get between Solo and, and Vader. Yeah. Um, in, in the movie. But it's, I, I just kind of love that, um, Han knows who Vader is because I feel like in a universe as big and mysterious as Star Wars, some guy called Darth Vader, like, you know, everyone, like, Boba Fett could be Darth Vader, you know. Like, I don't know who all these people are. <laughs> it could be. It's like, it's it's always fascinating me as well how easily Vader is able to deflect those blasters. Like those gloves are made of some pretty, pretty stern stuff, right? But well, I don't think they're hitting the glove port. It's the force that's stopping them. Is it because I thought the same thing, and so I watched it closely, and there's like a there's like smoke when it impacts Vader's gloves, there's like some sort of smoke. So there's something going on. I don't know. Let's not go down. We're in deep. We're in deep. There's something going on. But um, I, I just really just love the, we would be honored if you would join us. I just, I, Vader has moments of sarcasm that I pick up on now more and more because of Anakin and because of how Anakin mm. was. Even, you know, we I guess we've skipped past it, but when um, Captain Nida comes to apologize, you know, and he's like, apology accepted captain neither and you know he's like then he sort of indicates the guys take this crap out you know he's there's moments of sarcasm that vader uses that i think if you were to watch all of his lines in order i think you'd pick up on how much of anakin's in there it's great that's good i also love that uh you know and i think you know if you're watching this for the first time i love that obviously back on bespin um that they're obviously using the putting Han Solo in Carbonite as a, we, we're testing this yeah. in prep for putting Luke Skywalker in here. And the line where Lando makes a deal to basically keep Princess Leia and Chewbacca, all, like it was always perplexing because it's like, why are you keeping them? In the last movie, you literally had Princess Leia as a hostage. And it's so good when we finally get the twist of like, prayer don't alter the terms any further, like yeah. when he's when he reneges on the deal. So such a clutch move. And again, just, you know, thinking about how, um, I guess Anakin's uh, vibe and attitude, it's so on point. Yeah. Oh, it really is. And there's, as much as I love all of that, I actually think there's a missed opportunity here. And I don't know, I don't even mind how it would play out. But, um, you know, one of the things we ask ourselves on these rewatch podcasts is if you could change one thing, what might you do? And I'll answer my part here. I feel like there's a real opportunity for some Vader layer interaction. I feel like given the how much we saw them together in a new hope right down to you know when you know, the interrogation i mean all the things that we didn't even see but were implied 
Um, I feel like there would be something that Vader would want to say to her, like, you know, I've got you this time or just anything. I felt like there's, I really missed that. I feel like they really missed that opportunity. Mm, no, I totally agree. Um, what have we got? So also why, I mean, it, it, it makes great cinema, but why did Vader need to take Luke to the Emperor in Carbon Freeze? Like, is he not certain enough of his abilities to be able to keep Luke you know, in a ship of some description on his journey to presumably the makings of Death Star 2. Look, I just think what a great reward to give your boss, you know, a trophy of your of your son who's becoming a Jedi. And I know that um, I, I just think, like, it, it's it's a bit over the top, but I think it's the, it's the notion of, like, I've captured my son, I've given him to use a trophy. When the time is right, let's thaw that bad boy out and let's see if we can turn him. Um, I, but it, it is over the top, but, yeah. Yeah, not not really needed. It does make for great cinema, though, and of course, again, another music moment. The the layer theme as as Han goes into the carbon freeze. That whole carbon freeze chamber again, just again, more kudos to direction and production. The the lighting of that place, the 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 silhouettes, the whole look is absolutely incredible, isn't it? Oh, that it's it honestly just one of the, the classics, right? There's so much, there's so much mood around that, especially when we then fast forward a little bit to the the lightsaber duel that takes place in there. Yeah. Um. One thing about uh Han before he goes gets put in carbonite, you know, just that idea of that machine, like, and you kind of like go face forward into it, and there's all those like needles and stuff that look like they go into you. Terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. It really is, really is terrifying, and. I don't think I picked up on how scary that was as a kid. I feel like I'm seeing it now because I noticed that too. I don't know if it's, I don't know, Dan, if it's because the definition of what we're watching now is so much clearer with these HD remastered special editions that we can see that detail that maybe our VHS tape back in the day didn't show us that level of detail. I definitely remember being scared of it as a okay. as a youngling. Um, and because I, I also remember being scared of the, um, uh, the sort of torture probe droid type thing when in a new hope when in Leia's cell mm. uh, when that sort of comes in. But I think you're right though that the detail of it is so much clearer than I think it ever used to be. Like it probably was nowhere near as sharp. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I've not picked up on this before, but when Hans going in, Lando turns back and looks at Lobot. You know the the guy with the the bald mm. head and the headphones, and there's just the way Lobot's eyes just move almost like an action figure sort of like to the side and look over at him. And there's another great moment, you know, it tells, people often talk about Star Trek in terms of it sort of had technology before its time that has now become a real thing with the communicator, with the pads, whatever. But, but we got Lando here with the, with the smartwatch. Yeah. He, he's ahead of his time with that smartwatch. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a thing of beauty. And I think maybe now, having recently watched Solo, it's kind of become, because I was always a little bit murky about how Lando is in control of the city, and it kind of just feels like the pieces are all a bit more there for me, and it's a bit more complete. That's right. No, it does. It gives great context, and it also makes me more appreciative, even more appreciative of Donald Glover's, uh, uh, what's the word, interpretation of the Lando character and the way Mm -hmm. he he did it just right with Billy Dee Williams. Um, Okay, so we're cutting back. Luke has now arrived, and I think when I when I think about him walking in to that chamber and hearing Vader just instantly the the, the breathing, and then you know 
the Force is with you and Skywalker, but you are not a Jedi yet. I think that is possibly, even though there's some big lines in this movie, I feel like that is just a, an absolutely incredible line and just so beautifully delivered by James Earl Jones. I just love it. Agreed, agreed. It's this is one of one of my favorite mov- uh, moments in this movie. Yeah, it's it's an iconic battle, and as, as you touched on the look of it in that um, the carbon freeze place, whatever it's called, uh, is so iconic. Vader has no idea that Yoda has survived the the events of Order sixty six and all the rest of it, and even though this movie was made in nineteen eighty before any of that, and he he's still talking about obi-wan he, you know because that's that's all he can presume so he's like obi-wan you know has taught you well um but realistically <laughs> obi-wan didn't do too much teaching yeah and i, I guess he only really know well having well he, he in the in the movie sense is from i guess from that sort of interaction he had with obi-wan and the new hope but it's yeah it's the, the, there's so many questions to be answered here isn't there yeah. they really are um we get to see Luke pull off a few moves because we know come the end of this battle, he gets really dealt to by the superior knowledge of the force. But he does, he does have a few moves here. Like, and it's always the, like when Vader knocks him into the thing and he's like, Oh, all too easy. You know, he's got that real arrogance about him and he's force jumped up. Um, which, you know, he's, he thinks that's impressive. Of course, that's another great line, but it, it, it's, there are some moments where Luke actually is starting to show because at this point, you would think he would just get absolutely wasted if if that's what Vader wanted. Especially when you think about how much of a master swordsman Anakin is. Yeah. You know, he like and this is again, uh this was one of the, the best lightsaber fights we'd seen in the obviously in the second movie. Um, but now we know that it's it's still a fairly kind of tame tame battle in the scheme of things, really only enhanced by the fact that Luke's kind of doing these force jumps and there's a bit of like smoke and dry ice kind of being thrown around the room. <laughs> dry ice, yeah. Uh, there's a there's an interesting moment that again I haven't picked up on before. I don't think where Vader's obviously trying to hide from Luke as he's walking through a certain corridor and he doesn't want to give away his position. But of course, when you're Darth Vader and you've got that breathing unit, um, it's very hard to mask that. And so Vader quite deliberately is holding his breath as Luke is coming down the, the hallway. And then when he jumps out, if you listen to it, he's he breathes heavily and he's recovering his breath because he has been holding his breath. And I've never, ever picked up on that before. That's amazing. I've never noticed that either, but I that checks out. That's awesome. Yeah, if you rewatch the scene, he he breathes really hard because he's been holding it. Because otherwise, Luke would know he was around the corner, right? Mm. Um, uh, what else have we got here? I mean, do we dive straight into the scene, the the iconic yeah. scene? I mean, yeah, I think we have to. It's still even now, still just brings the the hairs on the back of your neck. It's it's it is. In the in the scheme of movie cinema, in terms of moments, it's this is where George Lucas is absolute genius. It really was astonishing. Like I could could this um, you know we talked about this in A New Hope. Could this have worked in today's day and age where just spoilers are everywhere? Mm. They're sort of instantly been ruined. The whole movie would have been fan theorized to death every single week until it's kind of release. And I just think it was such a great uh, twist and reveal moment in the in the movies that was served best because there was no internet. Yeah, that's right. And and this is why from The Force Awakens onwards, I've gone to every midnight showing, not because I need to be first, but because I cannot 
stand the thought of being you know like in the simpsons episode where they're all queuing up outside the empire strikes back and you know the guy walks past homer and ruins it for him it's um you know obi-wan never told you what happened to your father i mean from the minute he says that it's and I have to give a real shout out to Mark Hamill because I think he's an actor that often isn't appreciated for what he, he can do visually, more just with his voice. I think he really sells that whole entire scene that he cannot believe what he's hearing. And yet at the same time, you can tell that he knows it's true. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, not to mention, obviously, Luke loses his hand in this process, like, yeah. again, like similar to his father. And, you know, again, watching this for the, the first time, is like, oh, my God, he's lost his hand. Like, how's he ever going to be able to, like, wield a lightsaber again? No problem, Paul. No problem at all. No problem robot at all. hand. Yeah, robot hand, robot. Um, robot, I mean, how much of Vader is robot? I mean, it's incredible how much movement he has with all those limbs, right? Back to tank, robot, robot limbs, you're away. Yeah, everyone's fine in the future. Or more to the point, in the past. This was a long time ago. Um, so I'm your father. And Luke accepts this pretty quickly because when he is, you know, he gets rescued by the Falcon thanks to Leia showing, you know, her ability to communicate with with Luke through the Force and hear him. Uh, when they then they bring him into the Falcon and Vader tries to communicate with him and he says, Luke, he immediately responds, Father. And so there's there's an immediate... He's accepted the paperwork. You know, it's, it's done. <laughs> That's right. What's done is done. Um, and, I, you know, this is where the movie is is really winding up. Um, we've got um, the, the Falcon going off. We've got Lando, you know, obviously with... He, he didn't have time to pack a suitcase when he left Bespin, so he's had to search around the Falcon. He's managed to find some of Han Solo's clothes. One of my most loathed moments, Paul. The the fact that he's just wearing Han's clothes kills me. It's like such a jerk move. Like, like I know, like I know that this the the Falcon was originally his ship, but like just to be like, all right, we're off, and he, he puts on the exact same shirt and like puffer vest. Not good. <laughs> but think about the so what's the writing here what's the intent here because that's obviously a deliberate decision from firstly the writers and then the costume department to have him do that what what's is it is it as i've said he didn't have time to pack a suitcase and so he needs to wear something different well i so i think yes um he obviously like there was an emergency leaving of bespin um, and I get the sense because they often wear quite comfy clothes for space travel, and it's probably much like doing a long haul flight. Like you don't want to be wearing jeans; like you want your track pants Thank and you. your, your sweatshirt and stuff. Thank so. you. I, I I'm glad you said that because when I see people on flights dressed up really well, I'm like, what are you thinking? But that's let's not offend anyone. Um, and then Luke says the line: uh, "Is it Luke? I forget who it is." It says, "I will meet you at the rendezvous on Tatooine," and it's like. Really? We're going back to Tatooine? And of course we're going back to Tatooine because that's where Boba Fett is taking is taking hand. But I think it, when I was younger, it didn't make sense to me. What, why are we going back to the sand planet and the Jawas? I didn't get it. Yeah. If I was Luke, I'd be like, no, thank you. Um, <laughs> like, I, like, I know who the huts are. Like, I'm not really interested in a bar of this. Yeah, he, he doesn't need to go there. The ending, is, the ending of this movie is... You know, it's so bittersweet. It's, it's it's a bit of a downer, and that's always why it's so perfect for for any middle chapter. You know, like the Last Jedi as well, which gets criticised for many reasons, which we'll get to. But it, it is a bittersweet one because we've lost some things. You know, we've lost Han. He's not there at that final scene, as you know. And and now the mission is actually to go and get Han because if Han hadn't have been taken, 
there wouldn't be you know, what would what would the next step be for these guys because you know it's now it's all about we have to get Han back if if we didn't have if we hadn't have lost Han I, where does this movie go and a lot of that as you've said is because Harrison Ford hadn't signed on which is I think you're right like it's so crazy to think if we if we didn't have that for Jedi one of the greatest parts of that movie wouldn't be there yeah oh fully that's yeah I can't wait to to jump into that one because that's yeah that whole that whole scene is yeah we'll talk about that when we get there it's amazing but um Dan I've talked about what I would change for this movie and I think we touched on it with with the Yoda Dagobah let's speed that up but the thing I wanted was the Vader layer interaction when they they're clearly looking at each other there's an opportunity that that would be my thing is there anything that you would specifically add changed or delete um I think I would so I definitely cut down the amount of time that we spend with uh, the Falcon stuck inside that asteroid uh, too long for me and I think I would do something differently to demonstrate the time that Luke spends training because I think you're just like Luke's actually getting more and more powerful but you don't really know that as a as a reviewer of the movie and it would have been great to see some sort of you know if this was an 80s movie there'd be like a, a music montage of Luke just doing training every day um, and you just see him getting better and better and better and I think it almost needed something like that to kind of show the passage of time. Yeah. Um, and that it almost would have been better if somehow, um, like, because I think there's a real disconnect where everyone's leaving leaving Hoth and it's like Leia and Han just like bust off and almost doing their own thing. It's like, is the rest of the resistance not worried about where they are? Like, what's 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 happening here? Like, there's, there's a disconnect for me in that part of the story. Um, and I think it's only really that middle piece that I worry about. I, I love the beginning and I love sort of the end. It's just kind of probably that sort of 30 minutes in the middle that I would kind of love to see just a little bit of zhuzhing with. Fair enough. I think I think that's fair enough. And I think I'd, I'd often wonder, you know, so they do these special editions and they add things in. I wonder if there'll ever be a time, but they might. No, that surely they wouldn't take things away. No, I, I don't think they would. But um, this is a great movie, Dan. And so... The question, as always, is where we're up to so far with these these movies to where we're up to. Where is this movie ranking for you so far relative to your other rankings? It took me a few days to kind of really confirm its position, but this is number one for me. It's just such an iconic classic. There's more that I love about the movie than I dislike about it. And I think the bits that I'm moaning about are, are really just as kind of a, a passionate fan and my love for this universe. So I nearly put Rogue One above it, but I, I just couldn't do it. The Empire means too much to me. It's interesting, eh? Because I, I kind of have always said, oh, you know, A New Hope is my is my go-to. And I think it still is my go-to and it has that special place as a child. But on the rewatch, I go the same. I, I go top of the pole as well with Empire Strikes Back. I, I There's just, and I think, I sort of summed it up for myself when I talked about the direction because George Lucas writing and someone else directing is the perfect combo. Harrison Ford is is at his absolute peak. The story has dark places. The the lightsaber battle was so much more satisfying than what we got in A New Hope. There's so many reasons. The Hoth battle, it's, yeah, it is going in at number one for for me as well. So, um so yeah, so ranking wise, um, top three for me now is Empire Strikes Back, A New Hope, and Rogue One. Interesting, because mine is Empire Strikes Back, Rogue One, and A New Hope. So same movies, just slightly different order. Right, different order, yeah. So 
It's actually going to get, it's getting harder, isn't it, to kind of, because like every time you kind of bump one down, like I don't want Rogue One or New Hope to sort of be be down in second and third, but, you know, they can only be I was, one. I was just looking across at my rankings and thinking, oh, you know, Solo, I love Solo. Why is it so far down there? But this is, this is what happens. These movies are so good. Um, mm. I'm really fascinated to see with the remaining four movies how our orders will change. So... I, I'm already nervous about where I'm putting Return of the Jedi because that movie holds a special place. Um, I I actually am a big fan of the um, the Force Awakens. Like it's going to be interesting to see where that sits. Um, oh, crazy times, Paul. I look forward to our next deep dive in, which will be Episode Six, Return of the Jedi. So that brings us to the end of a, another episode of the Half Measures podcast and a special deep dive into The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know your rankings if you're sort of you know going along with us. Let us know what you thought of our criticisms because we came in pretty harsh on things. Do that on our social media or at halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, um, Trisha Brady, Dinah Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. If you would like to become a patron of the show and become a producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.